Acts 9, 26 through 28. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among the um, among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. This is the very word of God. Thank you, Crosstown. It's always great to be with you. Uh, Karen, I feel like we're at home when we're here among a lot of friends. And so, Ben, thank you for inviting me to come. I asked Ben when he invited me, uh, what should I preach? I'm willing to preach whatever anybody tells me to preach, you know. And uh, he said, just whatever's on your heart. So I appreciate that too. And so one thing that's always on my heart, of course, is making disciples who make disciples, especially among uh, international people. And I appreciate Crosstown's uh, heart for that very same thing. Uh, international people on your heart, making disciples, being disciples is on your heart. And so we love you. We love this church. And we're glad to be able to uh, share with you today as well. If I can get all of my equipment, you know, as you get older, your faculties begin to fail. I have hearing aids. I got microphone. I got glasses, all these different things. But it is good to be with you, to be able to share with you from the word today, the the passage today is not as simple as just what was read. Actually, I'm preaching from Acts chapter 4 and 9 and 11 and 15 because this is a biographical sermon. Uh, we're going to follow a disciple by the name of Barnabas to learn uh, about how encouragement is a vital part of the disciple-making process. Sometimes encouragement is left out of the recipe. It's kind of the secret sauce that gets left out. Sometimes we think about the, the curriculum, you might say, or what we're supposed to do as disciples, and sometimes we just leave off, leave out this important issue of encouragement that sometimes is simple, sometimes is hard to do. But today, we want to look at this issue of the power of encouragement in the disciple-making process. Someone has once said that encouragement is food for the soul, and all of our souls are hungry. And so today, hopefully, I'll encourage you to be encouragers and receive encouragement as well as we think about Barnabas and we follow his life uh, from Acts chapter 4 through Acts chapter 15. One uh, practical example of the power of encouragement is this. I like to, to hike. It's my new hobby, stress-free, doesn't cost anything, not like golf like Ben likes. Uh, I like to hike, and so I've hiked several 14, 14ers. Actually, Logan was on one of them. I can't keep up with Logan. But uh, I've done several of those, and one of them particularly was the hardest one I've done. Uh, not because of the elevation, uh, not because of the risk involved or anything like that, but it was the hardest one because it was the only one I did when I was by myself. I tried to get Karen to go. She said, I ain't going with you. She's taking the parking lot went into the town, uh, but it was because I did it by myself, and so I, I, I know why it was the hardest one. It's because I didn't have the encouragement of brothers on the path with me. There's no doubt. It was difficult. I wanted to quit before I summited. Uh, when I got down, I told Karen I about died. She said, and you wanted me to go with you on that hike? 
she was smarter uh, than I was. <laughs> so so uh, today we want to speak about this issue of encouragement, and we want to be encouraged to be disciples, and we want to encourage others to make disciples, to spread the gospel to every place and every people on this planet. And I think Barnabas is a wonderful example of a disciple who God used in his sovereign will, by his sovereign choice, for that purpose. And then we're going to make some applications to our own walk with God, our own discipleship, if you will, uh, towards the end. So I want to start with Acts chapter 4. We'll get to Acts chapter 9 in a few moments, but I want to start with Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at about four scenes from Barnabas's life. And the main idea throughout this whole thread uh, of Acts 4 through 15 is this, to be a disciple like Barnabas, and we will make disciples. If we are, if we are a disciple like Barnabas, we will, as a natural outflow in a supernatural way, make disciples. So let's look at scene one, Acts chapter four. This is where we're introduced to Barnabas, and the church is new, uh, the church is growing, and in Acts chapter four, it says, verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is our introduction to Barnabas. And I believe the first thing we see, the first character quality we see from his life is that he had a servant spirit. He had a servant spirit. Before he gave his property... I think from the text we can see that he was given his life in service to others. He was already called the son of encouragement at this point before he gave the property, I believe. And he was given his life to serve, to encourage, to love the kingdom community called the church in Jerusalem, this first church. He was given his life and his character earned him the nickname, son of encouragement. The needs of others in Barnabas' life were more important than his own. He saw the needs that the community had, and he sold his property. Uh, They were more important than his own. The ministry to others was more important than just ministry to himself, or certainly more important than money. We see he sold a field. He's one of many that sold a field and gave the money to help the needs. So I believe in this servant spirit, we see how he prioritized. He embodied kingdom values that the Scripture elevates that are important for us as disciples of Jesus wanting to make disciples. Uh, the, the value of others being more important, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, sacrifice for one another. This is the first thing we see in scene one about Barnabas. His, and his character then led to courageous action. The scripture that we read uh, from Acts chapter 9, uh, we see in that scripture the courageous action that he took. Paul, Saul at the time, had become a believer He came to Jerusalem. The apostles did not trust him, and they had good reason not to trust him because he was a horrific persecutor of the church. They couldn't believe now that he's a preacher of the gospel, not a persecutor of the gospel. 
And so they were afraid of him. So Saul in Jerusalem was somewhat isolated. But a key verse, I believe, we see in verse 27, it says, but Barnabas. Just that little phrase, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he, Saul, Paul, had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took a huge risk. He had a servant spirit, but he also took this huge risk that were really a turning point in the movement of the gospel as we, as we look back over history. Without Barnabas taking this step of faith, without Barnabas taking this rich risk, would we ever have known of this missionary named Paul? Likely we would, but we don't know. This is what happened in history. Without him taking this risk, we might have not known this guy named Paul that God used to transform uh, Gentile people to come into the family of God, to, to come to know Jesus. Uh, he saw evidence of the gospel. He saw how God was at work through the Spirit of God in Paul's life. And Barnabas took him to the apostles, introduced them to the apostles, connected them to the apostles with that little phrase, but Barnabas. And did he have any idea about how that act of courage, about how that risk, that chance that he took would have an impact on the world and history ever since then? Did he have any idea? Certainly not. He had no idea. It could have gone bad. But he did it, and then God did it. And that act of Barnabas, that, that courageous act, that risk he took, has influence, if you think about it, all the way to us. 2,000 years later. How many of you have read uh, Romans and it influenced your life? <laughs> How many of you read Acts beginning in chapter 13? Well, really, chapter 9, and it's influenced your life. How many of you have read half of the New Testament? It's because Paul wrote it. God used him. But without Barnabas, but Barnabas, who knows about Paul? We don't know. But Barnabas took this risk, and God used his faith in an amazing way that's had an impact all the way to us. Barnabas had that servant spirit. By faith, he took a risk, but we also see in his character, he was available for God's work. The third thing in the third scene as well. The church at Syrian Antioch was planted by unnamed disciples. And this is the first church that intentionally began reaching Gentile people. And there was a great kingdom movement going on in Antioch at that time. So in scene 3, chapter 11, jump ahead a little bit, uh, verses 22 to, to 26, we see Barnabas's role here. So it says in chapter 11 Acts of Acts, verse 22, the report of this, a great kingdom movement, many people turning to the Lord, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted or encouraged them, them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians." Barnabas was available for God's work. The leaders in Jerusalem observed his character and said, this is the guy we need to send there to encourage this 
primarily Gentile church, this new church. And they observed his character, and I believe that that was the thing, why they sent him there more than perhaps his competency. We don't know about his competency. We see a little bit later he's a teacher in the church in Antioch. So he was gifted by God, obviously. But it was his character that caused the apostles, the church in Jerusalem, to say, he is the guy that needs to go encourage this church. And made him, it made him usable to God and useful to God. Verse 24 is a key verse, I believe, where it says, when I get there, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And that's what qualified him to serve in this way and made him available for God to use him. He wasn't available because he had sold his property. Now he's homeless. He didn't have anything to do. You know, That wasn't the reason he was available. That he had free time. It was because of his character. He was an encourager. And the church at Jerusalem knew that this new church, this, this brand new movement of God in Antioch needed an encourager and continue to grow. And did it ever grow? And we see how it, it grew. He saw that the movement was authentic, and he saw the movement just continued on. He encouraged them to be faithful. We see that. And it resulted in great growth. And then in verse uh, 26, it says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So not only did Barnabas, I think, have Christ-like character that could be counted on, but the people in Antioch that had come to Christ also were demonstrating Christ-like character. The word Christian likely was a, was a term of scorn for them. But what it did, it identified them with the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas had Christ-like character. They had Christ-like character, much in part due to, I think, Barnabas' encouragement and impact to influence them to continue to be faithful to the Lord whom they had just met. Well, we see in this same scene, scene three here, that this task was too big. Barnabas couldn't be the only one to do it, obviously. Likely he wasn't. There were already people there who had shared the gospel, and the gospel was spreading. But what did he do? He went and got his buddy Saul. <laughs> he went and got, found brother Saul in Tarsus, and he brought him there because he knew he would be a co-laborer in the gospel. And Barnabas then, we see, is not only an encourager himself, but he pulled others onto the team because God's work is teamwork. And he pulled others onto the team and encouraged them to be faithful to the Lord as well. And God used them in great ways. They were there for over a year teaching the people, and a great many people, it says, uh, came to Christ. Shift a, a, ahead a page or two then, so fast forward a year or so or two ahead, and we see in, in chapter 13, then, God has a very special call uh, on Barnabas and Saul who were available for the work. In chapter 13, we see that the Holy Spirit calls out, and the church calls out Barnabas and Saul, who had become leaders in the church, teachers in the church, and prophets in the church. The Holy Spirit called them out for the work, we see in chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. What was the work? The work was being on mission for Jesus in the gospel. Uh, the work was to make disciples. The work was to build up leaders. The work was to plant churches. That was the work and that is the work today, as a matter of fact, of being on mission for Jesus. So God calls them out for the work on the first intentional missionary journey, intentional to the Gentiles. 
And we see a huge multiplication of Gentiles, believers, and disciples. And you can read the, the missionary journeys, Acts 13, the first missionary journey, Acts 13, uh, Acts 14. And we see what God did uh, among people who were far from God, dead in their trespasses and sin, but brought into the family of God through the preaching of the gospel. And we see Barnabas and Saul now come back to Antioch, chapter 14. We're moving fast through Acts, right? Uh, chapter 14, we see them come back to Antioch for a report, a mission report. So when you have mission reports of missionaries that have been on trips or serving overseas and coming back and giving a report, very biblical. In Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 27, we see, it says, When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done, God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles, and there remained no little time with the disciples there in Antioch. And so Barnabas and Saul reported what God had done, but that little word there we see, with them, interesting, the very same preposition that Jesus uses in the Great Commission in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where he tells his disciples to go make disciples, right? And you know the Great Commission. And he says at the end of verse 20 there, he said, and I am with you to the end of the age. Same word, meta, Greek word meta. See, I know a little Greek. I know a little preposition, right? That, that Barnabas and Saul, God did tremendous stuff with them. God did it. But they were with God. They were available. Barnabas was available for the work. And we see... The last thing, the last scene that we'll look at before we make application with Barnabas is that he was a humble man. In chapter 15, uh, Saul says, uh, I'll just read it, chapter 15, verse 36, the beginning of the second missionary journey. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take, with, to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. He deserted Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. So we see Barnabas, and you say, how do you see his humility there? Well, the first missionary journey... It's mentioned at the beginning of the journey, it says Barnabas and Saul. Always mentions Barnabas first and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. But then it shifts in the middle of the first missionary journey, and it starts mentioning Saul or now Paul and Barnabas. And so we see a shift, but, you know, I believe that Barnabas didn't care who got the credit as long as God got the glory from seeing what God was doing with him. And so we see the result of that as well. He did not have to be in the spotlight. And he and Paul, obviously, without Barnabas, we may have never known about Paul the missionary. But, but Barnabas and Saul had a disagreement in such a way that Barnabas, to himself, likely said, I don't have to be in the spotlight and with Saul and see these great things done. I need to be in God's will. I don't have to be in the spotlight. I want to be in God's will. And he had a conviction to take his cousin, John Mark, with him. And give him a second chance, just like Paul had a second chance. 
But what do we see? His humility in the fact that he sails out of the Acts story. <laughs> Never see him again. Mentioned a couple of times in the New Testament, but just kind of in uh, passing when Paul mentions that uh, towards the end of Paul's life, go get for me Mark, who's very helpful to me, Barnabas's cousin, and one or two other times. But he sails out of the story, but I don't think he cares because he felt like he was doing the will of God. And he was a humble man. And he wanted to be used by God however he could be. Now think about this. When Barnabas sails off with John Mark, he makes some kind of impact in John Mark's life. Why? Because Mark, instead of a shamed disciple uh, ditching them on the first missionary journey, becomes a disciple that God uses to write the gospel of Mark. Again, Barnabas' influence on Mark comes all the way to us in Oklahoma City in the 21st century because Barnabas was a, an encouraging disciple. Paul, Mark, the people at Antioch, all the people along the way on the first missionary journey, all the way to us. So back to the main idea, and let's make some application. Be a disciple like Barnabas, and we will make disciples. God will use us to make disciples. So how do we apply the, these truths about his life to our own life to be disciple makers? Let's think about a few things. First thing I think is just we need to evaluate our values constantly evaluating our values. We see what Barnabas valued, and we see the fruit of his life, don't we, in history from the pages of Acts. But we need to ask ourselves, how about my life? I need to evaluate my values constantly. Why? Uh, because it's easy to have values drift, isn't it? Get sucked up into the American dream, uh, get conformed to the culture instead of being transformed by the word. It's just easy, and it happens sometimes slowly over time. And so we need to evaluate our values and ask the question, is the American dream shaping my values more than the kingdom vision of making disciples? Is the culture shaping me more than Christ shaping me in his word? Sometimes we have this drift. We just, what we need to do when we recognize it and pray and ask God to show us, we need to have a value shift then back to the main thing of making disciples who make disciples that brings glory to God and grows his family and grows his church. So I think one application, we need to evaluate our values. And I think our lifestyle reflects our values more than anything, maybe more than our confession of our values. What's our lifestyle look like? Uh, because making disciples, following Jesus is not a program, it's a lifestyle. And so I think one application, evaluate our values. Also, take a risk to help someone follow Jesus, to encourage someone to follow Jesus. And when we do this, when we try to make disciples, we know it's always a relational risk, right? Uh, it, it's a relational risk. It begins with a witness. We don't know how someone's going to reply or respond. Uh, we have no idea. We, we may face rejection. We may face persecution. We may face more commonly just indifference. But it, there's a relational risk involved, and it be, beginning with our witness, uh, which is where it begins. We never know, however, a person that we may witness to uh, may be a Saul at this point, but he could become a Paul, or she could become a Pauline. You never know. Barnabas didn't know. He didn't know when he vouched for this guy named Paul. He had no idea. 
And it's, but a, a second thing as well is just in discipling someone and not thinking about sitting down and going through a curriculum, but just life on life. Uh, taking someone uh, perhaps under your wing, you're one step ahead as a disciple. It's all you have to be to lead, right? One step ahead. But maybe somebody in your missional community group, a younger believer, uh, a believer who's struggling, whatever, uh, taking him or her under your wing to just encourage them uh, in their walk with Christ. It may be something like that. That's risky. You don't know how they'll respond. You don't know how it'll turn out. I've discipled a lot of people over the days. Some have turned out very fruitful, and I've been happy about it. Some have turned out to not even be disciples. Some have committed suicide. You don't know. It's a risk, but it's a risk that's worth it to try to pour your life, maybe just a step ahead, into someone else's life who will make disciples. Make a disciple who can make disciples. And another part of this sometimes is just encouraging a straying disciple. It's messy, but, but reclaiming that brother or sister who have got off the path, gotten off the path and not living as a disciple, reclaiming them for kingdom purposes is worth it. It's, is it messy? Yes. It's messy because it involves people. You know, if the church didn't involve people, the church would be a wonderful place. That's a Ben joke right there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's messy. But again... God will take the mess and do something with it, and there can be fruit from it. And the fruitfulness really is not measured by uh, success on how many disciples and counting the numbers and all that stuff. I think success is measured by faithfulness. What's God led you to do? How are you available to God? What's the Spirit put in your mind and heart to do? And be faithful to it. That's success. Take a risk. Encourage someone to follow Jesus. And practically thinking, think in your own life. And think about this little phrase that's in Acts chapter 9, but Barnabas. Who, what name can you plug in there? And you can say, but, put in whatever name, who encouraged you, who witnessed to you, help you grow in Christ. I can say, but Jim, a guy named Jim, I was saved as a 23-year-old. I was a struggling, broke golf pro. Didn't know any other Christians. All of my Christians were wild partiers, just like I had been previously. <clears throat> but Jim, new believer, 1977, before most of you were born, into the Jesus movement. <laughs> but Jim had come to know Jesus about six months before me. And man, we connected. He, one of the few Christians I knew. But he began to pour into me, and then we began to reach out to others. If not for Jim, who knows what would have happened to me? I don't know. Think about the name that influenced you the most. Maybe a parent, of course, a relative, a pastor, another brother or sister in Christ. But them. now plug your name in there and think about a person that you can encourage. Put your name in there. And someday they could say, but your name that's made a difference in their lives and in their walk with Jesus as a disciple of Jesus to make disciples. So I think we see these things about Barnabas that we can apply, but the last thing is this, being an available, humble servant of Jesus. Just being available 
You may say, hey, I can only influence maybe one or two people. I, can, I, I don't have time, I, whatever the case might be. I don't know really anybody who I can influence. I think God will bring a name to you. You say, I, I can only influence a few. That's great. That was Jesus' strategy, right? He had multitudes following him. But what did he do? He selected. He chose out 12 to invest his life in. One of them was a bum. He he chose 12 to pour his life into as his ministry went on. Not the multitude, but the 12. And then from the 12, he chose the three, Peter, James, and John, to pour into them. That was his strategy. He focused on a few that could influence the multitude. And those, those did influence the multitude. James, not so much, because he was martyred pretty quick. But John and Peter influenced the many. God used Peter at Pentecost, of course. He poured into those few that made a difference to many. And the same thing can happen with us because we don't know. Just as Barnabas didn't know about Paul, what would happen with Paul, what he would do, or with Mark, what would he do, we don't know those we pour into. It may be your kids. Your kids may have 10 times the influence for the gospel than you do. And you pray that, I'm sure. So we don't know. But be available. Be humble. Let God use us... (laughs) However he would choose, be filled with the Spirit like Barnabas, be be full of faith, filled with the Spirit, Christ-like character as you encourage others to do the same. And we have no idea how God working with us, just as he did with Paul and Barnabas, what God might do for his glory and for his kingdom. One story as we wrap up. In 2000, I had uh, prostate cancer, had surgery. I was worthless. I mean, after that, I mean, I was weak and wimpy. I actually was listening to the doctor, which was rare for me at that time, but now I'm old and listen to the doctor all the time. So in 2000, I had prostate cancer. I was was weak, and I was supposed to take it easy for six weeks, and that's hard for me. I'm kind of impatient, like to do stuff. And uh, for six weeks, I was supposed to take it easy. Well, there's this Taiwanese family in our church. I was the mission pastor at Northwest at the time. There was a Taiwanese family there. That about three or four of them had become believers. And they said, they, they called me and said, would you disciple us? Would you teach us? Would you train us? And I said, I, I can't. I, I have to take it easy for six weeks. I, I would love to, but I just can't. And they begged me, and they're persistent. Some of you know these people, and they're sometimes annoyingly persevering, you know. So, so they, they said, we, we, we want to grow. We want to be discipled. You have to disciple us. So finally, I relented and said, okay, if, uh, if another, there's a Chinese guy that I had been investing in, and he could train them. I said, if he can help me, his name's Hui. If Hui can help me, I'll do it. I called Hui, and I, I called him, and I said, Hui, you can't really disciple these people right now, can you? If I'm not there, you'll have to do it. You really can't do it, can you? He said, no, I can do it. And I said, oh, darn. So I hung up. You know, I said, okay. So I called him. I said, okay, we'll do it. And so we, we began in some weeks, literally, I was so weak going over there. I said, I can't even keep my eyes open. And I'd come home. Karen knows. I'd come home. But all of a sudden, I'd be fired up because of what went on, you know. So I'd be energized, but I'd be tired. But I did it. 
the Lord led me to do it, not that I had the strength to do it or special or anything else, but I did it. And that particular family ended up, I didn't know in advance, but that particular family ended up being the main evangelist for all the international ministry at Northwest. They reached more than 20 family members for Jesus over the years, one by one, one by one, and they reached dozens of people uh, for Jesus. And as I thought back uh, over the time at Northwest and all that happened, all that God did, God did it, and the people that, you know, I was privileged to baptize, they were the reason, not me, (laughs) probably 80% was their fruit. But praise God, their fruit, I had a little bit of something to do with that, you know? And so I think the same thing is true for us. We, we can invest in one or two, three people. We may not see fruit, but if we're faithful, available to God, take a risk, servant spirit, God will use us. So as we just think about Barnabas' life, we, we did a little biogra- biographical message uh, I'm not sure how all the applications apply to you or us, we, uh, today, but I am sure of this. Be a Barnabas, and we will make disciples. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be full of faith. Pursue Christ-likeness. Be available, ready to save, ready to serve, rather, and God will use our encouragement to bring himself glory and to build his kingdom. Be a Barnabas. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we thank you for uh, this disciple by the name of Barnabas. Not met him yet, God, but he has had influence that you chose him to have influence uh, and you equipped him, you empowered him. He was a man of encouragement and all these things we've talked about. Uh, Thank you that we have this model. Uh, God, help us to follow you, Jesus, as Barnabas followed you. Be a disciple like him to be an encourager to those around us, uh, to walk with you, to encourage others to walk with you, to be available to serve you. All of these things, Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for men like him. We thank you for men that we know and women that we know that encourage us and have encouraged us in the past and are encouraged us in the future and the present. God, may we be those kind of people as well. And you just use us to accomplish your purposes because we are your servants. God, thank you for Crosstown. Thank you for their heart and passion uh, for making disciples, their heart and passion for the nations, uh, local and global. And so, God, I'd use, I pray that you would use them in a great way to be encouragement, that your gospel would spread, that your name would be known, that your name would be honored among all people in all places for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was a really good...